Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Karina Castrillo, who shares a passage from a book that made her slow down and reflect during this time. Here's more from Karina. Hi, my name is Karina Castrillo. I'm a writer, digital marketing consultant, and founder of Sincerely the Facts, an educational platform dissecting the context in the news. Something that made me recently slow down is a passage from a book I'm reading, which is a Diary of Anais Nin, Volume 1, 1931-1934. This passage serves for me as a nudge to check in with myself when feeling stuck in the humdrum of daily routine. We can develop a kind of tunnel vision from repetition to the point where our actions are almost automated, and we need to rekindle that spirit of mindfulness and curiosity to breathe life back in. I think that our societal education has been solely focused on lessons and functionality and memorization, which has made us efficient workers but has not promoted critical thinking and introspection, both of which we need to live more purposeful lives. This passage reminds me of how much we can benefit from a little inspiration. I'll read it now. You live like this, sheltered, in a delicate world, and you believe you are living. Then you read a book or you take a trip, and you discover that you are not living, that you are hibernating. The symptoms of hibernating are easily detectable. First, restlessness. The second symptom, when hibernating becomes dangerous and might degenerate into death. Absence of pleasure. That is all. It appears like an innocuous illness. Monotony, boredom, death. Millions live like this, or die like this, without knowing it. They work in offices, they drive a car, they picnic with their families, they raise children. And then some shock treatment takes place. A person, a book, a song, and it awakens them and saves them from death. Some never awaken. Thanks so much again to Karina for sharing. Again, the book she read from was The Diary of Anais Nin, Volume 1, 1931-1934. Now here's my conversation with Erin Danielle, movement artist and founder of Allies Doing Work. The intersection of creativity and problem solving has proven to be a vital combination as we collectively endure global crises on all fronts. And perhaps no one understands this better than Erin Danielle, a New York-based creative professional, movement artist, and new founder. From her enduring love of dance to spearheading social and brand initiatives for some of the most beloved companies in the world, Erin understands how stories move people. And as the most recent devastating stories and actions of egregious racism ignited outrage around the United States, Erin called upon her creative palace and activated her love of community building to create allies doing work a digital destination that provides a community-driven space for intersectionality, radical accountability, and active allyship. 
While social media can only yield change to a certain extent, the access platforms like Allies Doing Work provide allow people from all walks of life to work together to dismantle racist systems that have become embedded in just about every facet of modern life. But if Aaron's work has taught us anything in recent weeks, it is that the most profound work begins far beyond the confines of our digital devices. It begins with our individual decision to create a genuinely equitable world for all once and for all. In this interview, Erin discussed the intersection of creativity and activism, the importance of intersectional allyship, her relationship with movement, and why she thinks slow content is a critical component for community building. This is an essential listen, and I'm proud to introduce you to Erin Danielle, dancer, creative, and founder of Allies Doing Work. I think the core of who I am is someone who is definitely fueled by their dreams. Uh, I I am a dreamer like through and through. Um, I love approaching every day with just kind of this like new sense of creativity and exploration. Um, I love spending time with friends and family. I love dancing that that is tied into what I do, but also just who, who I am, someone who loves movement, uh, someone who loves being in tune with how, how I feel physically. Cause it's usually tied into what's going on, um, in other facets of, of my life. But I think through and through, I am someone who's driven by their dreams and just kind of this deep seated process of discovering who I am day, day by day. Um, and that's definitely changed a lot in the last two years. But I, but I would say that that's who I am. Um, other things I enjoy, I love just getting lost in a great story. Um, I'm very story driven, so quarantine has been awesome for that. Just to be able to consume stories um, at at my own pace, and as as well having that fuel my my dancing and, you know, creative style. And the things that I value in life are definitely being honest and truthful with oneself and, you know, truthful with those in, in, in your life. Um, that to, to me is what makes me the happiest is when I know that I'm being 100% true to, to who I am, um, and can be in service to, to others. I think all of that is really where you get the best elements of creativity when you're coming from an honest place and stories really help kind of facilitate that ability to look in the mirror or to consider other perspectives that might have otherwise been lost on us or just not in our usual realm of thinking. So all of that really resonates with me and I think on the subject of storytelling, is there a particular story that you came across recently or otherwise um, that's inspired you to kind of reassess your relationship with pace or slow down or has shaped your life in a really profound way? Um, I, I read this for the first time two years ago, but I re reread it six months ago and the, the story still rings true. Um, it's this long, 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 long epic novel called Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Um, and basically it's the story of this family, um, I believe from like World War One up until modern day times. Um, 
and it's kind of about their this this family's you know journey through living in uh, Korea and due to war and things like that, having to leave their home and just seeing um, how the story you know kind of con- continues. Um, from this first woman to then her children to then her her great grandchildren and so on and so forth, um, it is truly watching the growth of an entire family. Um, seeing how dreams, how trauma is passed from one person to 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 the other, it's such a beautiful novel um, and has actually been very comforting during this this time. Oh, amazing. I'm a big reader, so I will definitely add that to my list. Um, do you find yourself rereading stories a lot? It's something I personally like to do. I like to let a lot of time pass before I revisit something again, just to kind of see what's changed contextually. So that's actually something that I really noticed about myself, especially during quarantine, but I've, I think I've been this way since I was a child. I love to re-watch things. Um, <laughs> I, and and reread. There's there's just something about I think a great story. It allows you um, with each new kind of watch or read, you kind of unpack a deeper layer of the story. Um, so usually, when I really love something, I just want to keep reading it and understanding and going deeper and just kind of. Um, just kind of peeling back every sub layer of that story. Uh, so yes, I'm definitely I'm definitely a creature of habit. There's something I think incredibly comforting and in watching films and and shows and and reading books that you've already seen. I think especially during these times, um, it's just great to kind of have you know those loved stories to always go go back to. Yeah, and I think it also feeds into the work that you do as a dancer and movement artist, and you know we'll talk about allies doing work shortly, but I noticed this overall kind of interesting synergy of movement as a common thread in so much of the stories that you tell and so much of the work that you do from the physical movement of being a dancer to now facilitating movements that encourage social change. And so I'm wondering how you would characterize your relationship with or define what movement means to you and your work right now. Yeah, um, I think that movement is always something that I'll have. I used to, there's there's lots of pressure within dance um, to kind of stay stay current, stay relevant. But the, the movement artists that I love, the dancers that I love, it's something that they always have with them, um, no matter where they are in, in their life, which I think is incredibly, you know, poignant and kind of shows who, who they are as as an artist. Um, so I think that movement is always something that drives me. I think with allies, you know, um, this concept of always moving forward, me as, as, as my own person, always trying to, to move forward. Um, I think that movement is just kind of an integral part of my creative process as well. Um, and a really key part of my health and wellness and just, being in tune with my own self. Um, and I think especially now when it comes to dance, um, for so long, you know, dance being about being on stage or performing for other people. Um, it's great to just get back to my training and dancing solely for me. 
too. So this kind of coming back to to myself and going back to to my roots and you know also moving into being a dancer who's now in their 20s instead of when I was training and like you know a a young child or a teenager um seeing the ways that my dancing has changed now that I now that I am you know really coming into my own self um that definitely has has an impact on on your movement yeah absolutely I also trained as a dancer when I was young and so I'm always kind of I guess inspired by the fact that dance and the performing arts in general reflect the times that we're living in in such a profound way but there's always a nod to the past and how that's informed how people kind of build on what they're doing now and so I'm wondering is there a particular work or choreographer that you look up to who you think connects the dots between the past and the present? Um, I think Tina Bausch is always a favorite of mine um, her, her work especially can be a little bit melancholy <laughs> Um, but I think that's also kind of healthy too. Um, to me, I'm someone that needs to approach sadness and those kinds of feelings, um, head, head on. Um, I just see, like, I, I feel things very quickly and very deeply. So, um, I really connect with her, her work because she doesn't shy away. Um, not only from, you know, touching on those sad moments, but also just those, those melancholy moments. I think right now for me personally with quarantine, um, I have been truly very blessed and very fortunate. Um, I am healthy. My, my, my family and friends are healthy. Um, I've definitely had, you know, some losses with work, but I've also had incredible gains that have, you know, kind of moved me forward. So there's at times where I don't necessarily feel sad. I just kind of feel this melancholy for the state of the world. Um, this sadness for not being able to go, go back to how things were. Uh, but then it kind of, you know, moves on fairly quickly because I also just try to be fully present in, in this moment where I am safe and healthy. Um, but I think, you know, definitely during this time, connecting with her work has been incredibly helpful because she's really fantastic at unpacking those really nuanced moments of life where it's not just that you're happy and not just that you're sad. It's sometimes that, that you're both and it kind of has this weird mix. <laughs> um, but I think that that has been very comforting and her work has been very comforting. And I think um, her work transcends time periods too. Absolutely. And I think being able to connect with dance and the arts in our digital age kind of helps humanize the current experience that we're having, being more interconnected than we ever have been before, but also more isolated, which is an interesting sort of tension. And I think just on the subject of movement generally, again, I'm interested in this relationship that it has with pace because so much about what's being revealed about this year is that the pace of modern life has created unsustainability in just about every facet of how we live, which in turn has exposed vast problems and inequities and, you know, more to the point, the systemic racism that we are long overdue in addressing and dismantling. And so I think, you know, with Slow Stories, when I planned to relaunch earlier this year, it was pre-pandemic and before all these conversations were really happening, 
But I think what we're doing now still speaks true to the fact that we need to explore what it means to slow down in our age of digital everything. And so with all of that in mind, and just noting the current state of how things are, I'm curious what this idea of slow storytelling or content means to you in the context of your creative work and also in the context of what you're building now with allies doing work. Coming from someone who worked in social and worked in you know, these startups that had very, like, you know, very high goals, um, that were sales driven. Um, the work that I kind of was involved in was incredibly, incredibly fast paced. Um, and sometimes not, not always at the start, but, you know, as I kind of settled in these roles, um, I think the issue with this fast pace that, that we were living is that so much of it lacked any substance. Like mm. it wasn't giving us any, any life. I think there are moments where things are moving quickly and they are teaching you something and giving you life. I don't necessarily think that, you know, those, those moments can't happen. Um, when I, when I think about, you know, moments where I'm like training maybe more, more at, at like this, this higher rate, it's fast paced, but it, it also gives, gives me life. But I think, you know, the, the, the trap that I was falling into the trap that I saw my friends falling into, especially post-grad, um, coming from a school like, like, like Columbia, um, where everything is fast paced and everything is about, you know, the like next test or, or the next paper or the next job. Um, I realized I was, I felt starved. Like I just felt like I had really nothing to live off of as far as I had no fuel left. Um, and so my work a lot of times felt empty. Um, it felt like it just was continuously taking away. Um, and I had nothing. I, and on the contrary, I, I wasn't gaining anything that, that, that would allow me to, keep fueling my, my own self. So, you know, moving out of the startup eight or, you know, the, the, the startup mindset, um, trying to transition into corporate, which I, which also wasn't for me because in the contrary, I felt that corporate, um, also was very slow, but still lacked substance. So I, I really realized for me, um, in my work, in my storytelling, in the content that I put out both through allies and through my own personal work, um, the key for me is substance, which allows me to better pace my, my own self. And I think that's kind of what's been missing, um, just within the content space that it's just a lot of, it's a lot of content just for the sake of putting something out there. Um, and showing up on people's feeds. Um, but there's not always content that truly offers substance to the people that are seeing it. And that's what I hope to do with allies. I, I really hope that the content that we're putting out is really just the starting point for those who, who are following us to, to continue to, to do their own work. Um, but I think, you know, when someone is really tuned in to why they're doing the work, and for, for what reasons and truly knowing, you know, is this task, is this project giving me something? Um, I think that allows people to better shift between 
this slower pace and this faster pace and knowing what, what makes sense at what time. I think right now, slow content is a hundred percent the way to go. Um, making sure that, that we're not, you know, trying to just burn out, especially during this time where I think we're being called to rest, to stay home. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how, how I feel about slow content. I really have loved seeing, you know, Instagram shift and change. Um, I feel like, you know, they're, they're with Instagram, we moved away from authentic storytelling and it became more so of a sales platform kind of, and it was kind of going in that way. Um, and I think, you know, with COVID and with people re re reshifting their mindsets, um, we've cleared up some, some space as well. Definitely. And I think you've done this really well, just from what I've seen generally, because in addition to allies doing work, you also have another space called at home for now. And I just think that these micro communities and these very focused spaces for people to come together online are going to transform the landscape and kind of bring us back to what it means to build community. Because I think, you know, in some of the other conversations that I've been having in our other interviews, it begs the question of, you know, what is content and storytelling? Like, what does it really mean? It almost has this sort of buzzword kind of feel. But I think now as we kind of reset, people are just rebuilding the ways in which we can actually connect on a level, like to your point earlier, that has true substance. And so I think with allies doing work, what's really interesting is that you've maintained that really focused approach to how you curate content and resources and programming, but it's grown so quickly. And so What's been on your mind in terms of balancing that interesting pace of how people are engaging with what you're putting out while still kind of making sure that you don't get away from the original intention and mission of the platform? Yeah, I think it's this balance of not trying to simply re- react to everything with every post that's that's out there because there's honestly so much content out there. Um there's so much work being done on, you know, on race and that kind of thing. But I usually have to, you know, make sure that that resource is coming also from a good place, um, from someone who has been doing this work, um, from people who show promise to con- continue doing this work, even you know, in like three to six months from, from now. Um, so that I'm also making sure that I'm steering people towards other platforms that are also doing positive things, um, and show that they're actually, that they actually have, you know, goals and plans to make this fight kind of a part of their work and a part of their, their lives. Um, but I think also knowing that, you know, with allies, we aren't, a news platform. So I don't necessarily have to comment on every single thing. Um, in, in the sense of, I, I don't have to try to like keep up or stay relevant or be the platform with all of the answers because I'm also just one, one person too. And I, and, and I know that just for me to be able 
you know, to maintain the platform and to keep it going is more important than trying to be the platform with the most likes or the most followers. Um, it's more so about putting out quality things um, that I hope will positively impact people and that they can share with with their friends and family. But I think, you know, freeing myself from this notion of having to be the best at anything, especially with this type of work, um, the goal isn't to be the best. The goal is to keep pushing. The goal is to keep trying to in, inform people that are willing and open to learning. Um, but I think also freeing myself from the, from the followers and the likes and things like, like, like that nature, um, I think have allowed me to stay clear headed during this. Um, and I also think, you know, just leveraging lives with graphic content too is really helpful. Um, so that people have things to read as well as like, you know, sit down and hear and take part in, um, that also helps me for pacing as well. But I think also, you know, some, something that I've seen people doing that in, engage in this work, um, they, they set their own boundaries, um, especially as p- people of color. We are living this every single day. So I have to make sure that I'm taken care of before I can really pour anything in into this platform too. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I main, maintained it. Um, and I think just, you know, I, I try to post something every day, but I also know that if there's a particular day where the news feels heavy and personally, I just need a second, um, I definitely take that time. Yeah, that's critical. And I think everything you've mentioned and everything you're doing comes across in an authentic and inclusive way. And I think to that point, you know, you've mentioned in other lives and on the platform itself that allies doing work has a distinct focus on being intersectional. So talk to us more about this pillar and some of the narratives that you hope to continue building on or spearheading within the community as we move into the next phase of this conversation. So this pillar to me is incredibly important, mainly because, uh, you know, four weeks ago, I believe when I started this, um, I noticed that the concept of allyship was becoming or was being, you know, framed in this light that something not only that white people could could engage in, but actually there's so many levels to being an ally. Um, so I wanted to break that down because I was also specifically interested in talking to other non-black people of color about what being an ally means, um, which means, you know, being a platform that is dedicated to talking about the nuances of, of so many things. Um, for instance, our first live, um, we talked about racism within the Latinx, you know, group, um, and, and what that looks like. Cause that might look a little bit differently than what's happening necessarily b- between black people and, and, and white people. And I didn't really see a platform, um, that had yet talked about that, uh, personally. So, you know, at, at Columbia, I, I chose to study race studies and human rights. So I was always really passionate kind of about the struggles of 
people of color um, and the specific ways that each you know group of people was being impacted by what's going on. And I think that that kind of fueled um, my approach with this work. I think the great thing is that um, also understanding that as a white ally, you can learn so much also from other people of color too. Um, and really just trying to make the narrative a little bit more, more nuanced. Um, this isn't just something that's happening with black and white people. Um, and white people, they have to be thinking about black people as well as other people of color. So that was kind of the conversation that I was passionate kind of about um, starting too. And it's also based off of the, the you know, the friends that I have. I have many friends from various backgrounds um, and the conversations that I have to have with them versus a like white friend, those might be slightly different. Um, they're both valid and they both need to happen, but I do have to approach them differently. So I thought, you know, if this is me and my experience and this is what I'm feeling, I bet that there are other people who are feeling this as well. Um, and really I also wanted to just challenge people, um, to keep thinking about the ways that, you know, um, whiteness not only affects black people, but all people of color or anyone outside of the norm of a straight cis white person. Yeah, it's super important. And has there been any sort of unexpected narrative or conversation that's arisen from some of these initiatives that you didn't expect or have been affected by? There have been a few um, people of color who, you know, will send send me things that that kind of that are coming from this place of you know not wanting to accept or deal with the fact that you know they have they have to unpack their own bias too. Um, so there's this you know this false notion that if you are a person of color that that you can't be be racist or that you can't be biased um, or be upholding racist structures rather. Um, so those can sometimes be a little bit disheartening conversations. Um, they, 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 they always kind of catch me by, by, by surprise. Um, but to me, it's just further proof that, you know, we have more, more work to do. And I choose, um, to kind of create programming that will help those people that, that are asking me or telling me these, these things, um, kind of hear it from someone else, you know, who shares that, that, that same background, tell them, you know, we need to be having these, these, these conversations, um, even though we aren't white, it, it doesn't mean that we aren't necessarily up, upholding some of these harmful biases. Um, so those conversations can, can always be tough because they're, they're so nuanced too. Um, which is usually why I bring in, you know, other people as well to kind of help me lead that too. Totally. And I think sort of to that point, I've been thinking a lot about performative allyship in the kind of context of how I've been talking to people about pace and slowing down and thinking and creating with longevity. And I've realized that in a lot of our past episodes of Slow Stories that we have talked about what it means to perform in our digital age, especially in the context of the professional and founder communities, this pressure to kind of create an ideal image of building a business or being a modern founder, 
But now I think with the discussion around performative allyship, especially online, it's something that we need to talk about even more. And I think obviously storytelling has a part to play in this. And so I'm curious what role you think it can play in sort of combating the falsities and redirect people's attention back to creating and engaging and coming from a place of value. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that is, that is a great question. It's definitely something that I definitely don't think I have all the answers, um, for, I just know that with people who tend to fall into the, you know, into their, their allyship being strictly for show. Um, I don't think that that necessarily means that someone is a bad person. Uh, it just means that they need to dig deeper and usually that they need to get their knowledge from, um, a better source. My fear is that, um, a lot of people's, you know, work is being done solely on Instagram, which really can only go you know, so, so far. Um, I, I, I feel that with, with, with allies too, we're, we're just one platform. Um, and, and we can only go so far, um, and we can't do everything. So realizing also that I think when people have a shallow understanding of race and what's going on, um, it means that, you know, their source of knowledge is also shallow and that they need to broaden it and that they need to dig deeper um, and search for those those books, those podcasts, those films um, that will encourage and really force them to dig deeper. And so that really means, you know, trying to put aside your own personal comfort um, to pers- pursue that knowledge. So I hope that with storytelling, um, I think as, you know, comforting as storytelling can be, it can also be incredibly challenging. That's something that I hope to lean, lean into more. Um, I, I don't think that the best stories are the ones that make us, you know, feel good, you know, 24 seven. I think that there's incredible stories out there that really challenge their, their audiences. Um, so that's my hope that with storytelling, the, the people that are, that are the storytellers continue to ask those hard questions continue to speak truth because the truth is uncomfortable. There's nothing really, you know, comforting about what's going on. So continue to shed light on what's happening to speak truth um, and to push their, their audience. Um, and in hopes, I, I hope that audiences can, you know, continue to stay open-minded and willing to be challenged too. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as I navigate this and really commit to the work and open up the landscape of where I should be consuming this content, I've really just generally been trying to push beyond the usual or go-to media platforms. You know, I'm looking at literary journals, trade publications, and just kind of widening the scope of where these stories are coming from. Because I think when we take that extra step beyond what's right in front of us, that's where we really can begin to understand perspectives that need to be seen. Yes. And and I think just to speak on that a little bit more about where people might be, you know, starting some of their learning, I think especially um, 
if you are a white person who seeks to be an ally, um, that you can't solely learn about race from other white people. Like that really isn't the place to start. Um, you need to really dig deeper. I think be comfortable with going away from the mainstream. Um, I think just to be completely transparent, most mainstream, you know, platforms, um, have been around for a while, but they're just now starting to talk about race. And so to me, I don't necessarily think that that means that they can't get there, but I don't necessarily trust them as being the go-to places. Um, there's lots of smaller, you know, platforms, people that have been doing this work for years and kind of screaming in, in, into the void to, you know, have, have their work heard and to, you know, con continue to push things forward. But I think also, um, just challenging your mainstream thoughts and the places that, that you tend to get, get your facts from. Um, and also knowing that, you know, to be an ally, um, and to continue to learn, you have to make your source of knowledge, um, a bit more, more nuanced. Um, more broad and really led and full of people of color. Absolutely. And I think building on this talk about mainstream media, obviously it will continue to fluctuate in terms of the conversations that we're having and as time passes on. And so where do you hope to see creativity and activism intersect in terms of storytelling as we kind of head into the second half of the year and the next phase of this movement? I think to me, what's exciting is that, you know, on, on understanding that it's going to take us lifetimes to unpack the things that, you know, have been going on for 400 plus years. Um, so understanding that if you seek to be an ally, figuring out ways to make activism a part of your daily life and daily learning, I think is incredible for pacing too. It's not going to, you know, happen overnight or in a month or in in two months even. Um, the biases that we hold on to stick with us a lot longer, I think, than we would like to kind of, you know, think. Um, but I, I'm excited to have activism take the forefront of culture, of politics, of media. Um, I feel that activism, you know, gets painted in this in, in this light, um, that activism can't be a part of our, our lives in, you know, those big and those small ways, but I hope we just see more, um, more examples of people, including, including this work into their friendships and into their partnerships into their workplaces. Um, all the spaces that that change can really, really, really also happen. And so I, I think just seeing more examples of active people um, in, in different workplaces, backgrounds, so that people realize that you don't have to be necessarily a author to, to be an activist, that, that, that you don't have to know everything to kind of do, do this type of work, but really it's something that is open to all of us if we're willing to have those hard, hard conversations. 
Yeah, it really just comes down to acting in every facet of life. And I think with this time and with this element of slowing down, it has created a lot more headspace for reflection. You know, we're calling into question what it means to be a person and how we exist. And I think we are asking more questions of ourselves and of others that we might not have otherwise chosen to do or had the time or headspace to do had we not experienced what we've endured in the last few months. And so I'm wondering if there's one particular question that you hope people start asking you more often as we move through these conversations and come out of this time. These are such awesome questions. They're so like thoughtful and 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 nuanced and they're they're making me think. <laughs> um let let me think about that just for a second. I don't necessarily know that it's a question that needs to be asked to me or just to 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 me rather, but I I think a question specifically in my line of work um, is you know when putting out any project, any product, even any post um, when we're high, you know when we're talking about certain things and certain people. I think it's incredibly important to ask whose voice is being amplified with this, with this product, with this story, with this movie, with this podcast, whose voice or voices are going to be highlighted um, and amplified and celebrated with with this. I, I think people need to be critically thinking about, you know, the work that we're putting out into the world and either that's going to uphold the status quo or challenge it. Right. So those are the questions that I'm in, I'm excited to see people starting to have, because I think people think that, you know, this is only something that they can do uh, in politics, which is not true. Um, but, you, but rather you can, you can almost, look at any business and see that, you know, there are people of color being either harmed or like celebrated. Um, and so everything that, that, that we do and that we're putting out there as artists, as, you know, brands, as platforms, um, can either, you know, uphold that status quo or can continue to dismantle it um and so I hope people you know continue to ask them themselves those questions I hope these are conversations that can be happening in the workplace as well that people feel emboldened and confident to speak up and challenge things and just dig deeper yeah it's definitely not a one and done sort of thing and these questions will change over time and the platforms and the channels in which we facilitate them will change And I think it's just generally going to be a time of transformation. I really do believe that. And that in itself, I think, is a whole other conversation. But for this interview, I have one final question that I like to close out these discussions with and that I think brings everything full circle in a really nice way. And it is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I think that especially for those who are privileged, um, who 
have been able to stay home during this time, uh, who have been able to maintain work or a sense of, of normal life during this time, um, realizing that we don't need as much as we thought we did. I think quarantine, you know, it, it's calling all of us to give up and live without some, some things. Um, and, that's definitely, you know, there's discomfort that comes in that, but also it's incredibly freeing to realize, you know, I don't need as much as I thought I did. Um, I don't need all of these extra things. And I think, especially coming, coming from someone who was kind of living that fast paced life in Manhattan, um, feeling this need to work a lot and maintain this, this booked, you know, life constantly and not really diving as deep as I could into, you know, my like friendships. Um, slowing down has really helped clear my head. And I think that people who continue to approach a more intentional, you know, lifestyle, um, who look for substance over the quantity because um, I, I I think that's what we're you know what we've like really moved away from is just like quality over quantity, um, and slow content and slow pace of life, um, but it really a- allows you to really dig deep and figure out what truly makes you happy um, and what you truly actually need because we're actually being you know kind of told that that we need X Y Z but really we only really need X or Y or Z but we don't need all of it. Um, so really being able to trim back and, you know, de- declutter your life and your minds and the things that you think you need to, to, to be happy and realizing that we can take more ownership over what, what makes us happy. And to me, that's been, that's been something that, um, has been incredibly freeing and the reason why, you know, I've been okay staying home and happy to stay home. Um, and just wanting to use this time as thoughtfully as possible. That was my conversation with Erin Danielle, movement artist and the founder of Allies Doing Work. For more information about Allies Doing Work, you can visit the platform on Instagram at Allies Doing Work and follow Aaron on Instagram as well at Aaron underscore underscore Danielle. We'll also be sharing more highlights from this episode on our own social media channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Slow Stories.